So as we take a deeper look at these passages from the Bible and how they relate to us, let us just pray. Gracious God, please open our hearts anew this morning as we look to learn fresh truths from these passages, so familiar to us here. May this message inspire us to look to you as we seek to grow your kingdom here on earth. Amen. Amen. So Jesus liked to do his teaching in the form of parables, stories which the listeners had to engage with, use their own imaginations, possibly cause an emotional response. And like today's New Testament reading, a common theme of Jesus' teachings were about the kingdom of God, which is a theme for the majority of this chapter in Mark. The chapter starts with the parable of the sower, where the farmer sees the seed he throws landing in different places, the path, the rocks, the thorns, and the good soil, highlighting God's extravagance. The message here is that there is enough seed to go round to everyone. God's kingdom isn't just for that select few. And then Jesus goes on to explain the parable meaning to the disciples, because they confess that they don't actually understand it before he instructs them to put their light from under a bucket or the bed and put it on a table so that it's seen by everyone. And then we have today's passage, where Jesus is having more to say about seeds growing, a subject that the listeners would have been really familiar with, rather like Harry making a point using TikTok or Snap with the youth, before Jesus then goes on to share the parable of the mustard seed and its similar message of God growing the kingdom from such small beginnings. The land was the Jewish people's most priceless possession. It's been said that the land didn't so much as belong to them, but that they belonged to it, believing that it had been given to them by God. And that's why the Roman occupation was so painful for them, And apart from being a treasured symbol of their faith, identity and tradition, it was also their means of survival. A farmer sowing seed was also a picture of God sowing Israel again in their land after long years of exile, of God restoring the people's fortunes, making the harvest plentiful again. And then we heard Karen read, there was a time for everything. Not all things, but everything. For everything there is a season. This includes the times of birth and death, of planting and uprooting, war and peace, weeping and laughing, mourning and dancing. God has set all these times. And sometimes it's right to do one thing, and sometimes it's right to do the exact opposite. God also set the time when Jesus was to be born. The New Testament calls it the fullness of time. Jesus was very much aware of the time set by God. He began his ministry by preaching, which we read about in the book of Mark, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He knew what season he was in. He knew God was moving his people beyond the law and the first covenant. And it was time for them to respond to the call to include everyone, not just Israel. The problem was Jesus' vision of God's plan was radical, to say the least, and wouldn't have been what the people wanted to hear. They wanted this huge act of renewal from God, this blaze of glory to kick the Romans out and return the land to them. Not a picture of a lone farmer throwing some seed, 
possibly why he's telling the people in this form of story, giving them time to process this revelation. So when we look at today's parable, it can seem quite straightforward. It grows in secret, in the ground, where no one can see it, until eventually a stalk appears, then the ear of corn, and finally the swelling corn inside the ear, and it's ready for harvest. It's interesting that Jesus mentions the farmer going to bed, sleeping, and getting up as the seed grows, night and day, unaware of the growth developing in the soil. Like the kingdom of God, the Jewish people couldn't see how it would come, but grow it would, and the long-awaited harvest would come, although not as they expected. And then this short parable ends with the assurance that there will be a harvest. We can trust in God's provision. Now, I have an O-level in biology, which totally shows my age, and it still blows my mind that a small acorn can become a huge oak tree. How is this possible? And yet Jesus is saying that this is how the kingdom of God works. God can make a small seed grow into something magnificent. And so we can think, how is this relevant to us today in our church here? We are all very different. And when we give our lives to God, we are each called to use the gifts and talents that we are blessed with. And as unique and different as we each are, so are the ways the Holy Spirit inspires us to serve. Using the same analogy as Jesus used with planting seeds, some of us are called to cultivate the land, ready for the seed to be planted. And we may move on before we ever see the results of our labour. Others are called to plant the seeds, ready for the new life in the new seasons. Others are called to water and feed these delicate shoots to give them the best chance of growth. And some of us get to see God's harvest, the beauty of new life. Each role is so vital in the journey and all part of building God's kingdom here on earth. When we think of our Old Testament reading, thought to have been written by King Solomon, so it was somewhere before his death in 913 BC, it was actually written to the Jewish people because they had forgotten about God. They were busy buying and selling, making fortunes and losing them, without much thought to the maker of heaven and earth. They had stopped standing in awe before God, and so they needed to be reminded that there was a time for everything and that life is meaningless without God. And despite being written so long ago, there are many similarities to life today, with many people consumed with their own agendas and needs, with little thought to looking to a saviour. Life today has got very busy, with our time now as precious as our money. And there's always plenty that we can be spending our time doing, be it supporting our families, helping at church or other activities, on top of work for those of us that have jobs. And so we need to be praying and asking God what his plans are for our lives. So we're putting our time and talents into the seeds God is already sowing. Otherwise, we just end up doing what Walter Bruggerman, I probably pronounced that really badly. I'm not going to even look at David because I'm sure he knows how I should have pronounced it. <laughs> He's laughing, so I think that says it all. But this man, Walter, he says, living unauthorised lives and with unauthorised ministries. Work that God never asked us to do, 
and that's when we get tired. We should also try not to compare ourselves to others and our ministries in others as we look at seasons and also look at perhaps other times when we were more active and maybe feel less useful to God now. I'm so reassured when I'm reminded that we're not loved by God for what we do or don't do, but by who we are, precious children of our Lord. However hard this is for us to believe sometimes, especially if we find ourselves in a season when we're being asked to be still and rest. Blogger Holly Gerth writes her relief as she pictures Paul, Silas and Timothy pausing as they write to the new believers in Thessalonia. What should they give the Thessalonians as a goal? Imagine for a moment how our modern world would finish that sentence. Make it your goal to be busy all the time. Make it your goal to be successful and productive. Make it your goal to look good. Think of how some contemporary spiritual leaders might finish that sentence too. Or how you might finish it yourself on days when you feel you're not enough. Make it your goal to help everyone. Make it your goal to change the whole world. Make it your goal to be a spiritual hero. Grace silences the voice in our minds that pressure us to do, to be and to have more. So what Paul, Silas and Timothy decide to say is actually really surprising. They say, make it your goal to live a quiet life. But in a world already full of anxieties and pressure, Holly continues that our anxiety can come from many sources, including goals God never intended for us to pursue. When we take these on, we continuously feel that we're falling short. But actually, choosing a quiet life can be far more challenging than choosing a busy, overwhelming one. So what does a quiet life actually mean? It's easy for us to think of lack of something, fewer activities, not as many commitments, less noise, and that can certainly be part of it, especially in seasons when we need restoration. But a quiet life is really about abiding in the presence of Christ. It's about grace silencing the voices in our minds that pressure us to do, to be and to have more. In their place, we can begin to experience the joy, peace and contentment that only Jesus can give us. This parable is Jesus telling us that God's work will grow while we are serving, but also while we're resting, watching Netflix or eating chocolate. Great trees grow without any help from us, even while we're sleeping. But God delights in including us when we've had willing hearts to work together to grow the kingdom. And I find that when we're being called to serve, the Holy Spirit makes it clear as excitement wells up inside of us and doors just seem to be opened everywhere. Later in the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon writes, whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. When the Holy Spirit does call us to new ministries, if we wait until our circumstances are perfect, we may not sow, and if we don't sow, we can never reap. I love the story of a local pastor from Chicago who in the 19th century woke up in the middle of the night and felt God was telling him to go to the train station and preach. He thought he was silly, 
And so he went back to sleep several times, which is exactly what I would have done. However, he did finally get up, he went to the train station, and he preached to no one. He went home, went back to bed, forgot all about it. Oh, years later, he went to a Billy Sunday service, a professional baseball player who had found the Lord and become a big evangelistic preacher of his day. And Billy Sunday preached that night about how he had been saved when he had heard the gospel at a Chicago train station in the middle of the night. And as we as a church continue to look at hope and hospitality, which is all about showing the kingdom of God to those around us, and we each have an important part to play in this. And I think it's easier for us to see ourselves in a role when we look at hospitality. We are a group of talented people who have people that can organise and are creative, those who can bake and entertain, make everyone feel welcomed, and those who can come and encourage and wash and clear away afterwards. You will be pleased to know that I have been shown how to use a steriliser in the kitchen last week, and I have to tell you, it absolutely terrified me, but I will persevere, so I will be helping to wash up as well, I promise. But when we look at the hope we have in Christ, I think it's more of a challenge. I'm sure if I asked you all to share the hope with our community and what the message of God's love would be, you'd tell me it's all about Jesus. But what does that actually look like? Today, many people are living without hope. Our world seems a very dark place now. So how can we bring hope to a dark world? I read a quote years ago that has stayed with me and I've never forgotten it. It said, the only way to get rid of darkness is to add more light. And there's an author, Madeline Ingle, and she thought the same when she wrote a book called A Circle of Quiet, which contains the quote, our world may seem dark, but we're all holding a candle. Now she wrote this back in 1972, and the issues she highlights are just as relevant today. Uncertainty and division, pain and injustice, She talked about hope and love and joy, creativity, faith, and finding our way back to each other. With all that's going on in this broken world, we can begin to believe it's hopeless. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus and remember that he lived in this messed up world too, showing us the difference is possible. This is our time, the place God has called us to be, to this place in this time, And I believe God is calling us to do great things. And all it takes is lighting a candle in the darkness. Because our world is unlikely to get any better. But our hope is that we serve a God who is still working, even when we sleep and get up again, day and night. A saviour who slept in a manger and walked in our shoes for a while. Whose love is the flame for our candles. In the first chapter of John, we read, The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. We simply need to ask God this. How do you want me to add light in my world today? 
and we could be called to light a candle in the darkness in many different ways, each unique to us. It could be talking to a mum at Stay and Play who hasn't had much sleep as her toddler's teething and she just needs someone to give her a sympathetic ear. Or handing a cup of tea and a smile to a food bank guest who is overwhelmed and is just trying to hold it all together. Picking up an elderly person for Saturday Club so they can spend a few hours with their friends. Or tackling a huge pile of unopened letters for a CAP client who can't face the demands to pay their escalating debts. Adding that new family onto the parents' WhatsApp group and inviting them to the next outing. Or picking up the phone to someone you know who's living alone and has become quite isolated. Reading a psalm or passage from the Bible highlighting God's love to someone unwell or someone grieving. The ways God shows us to... Um, shows us to show hope are endless and we always light a candle when we offer our prayers and ask the spirit of God to intercede for us when our own requests are so small and inadequate with that reassurance that like the seed that grows without our knowledge or our help God can produce a whole head of grain ready for harvest as we strive to serve God in this community Let us remember the word disciple doesn't mean expert or preacher or leader. It means to learn. And we are all learners, each of us on our own journey of faith, called to live and worship as a family of believers together at this time in history for the purpose of sharing the love and the good news of Jesus to a dark world. So let's shine the light of Christ and watch in awe and wonder at what God will do with our small offerings as they grow for the kingdom of God. Amen.